Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to part three of uh, the State of the Art of 64 Slice CT 2008. And we left with this slide before every picture tells a story. And I always like to show that slide as I go into some of the applications. And one of the things uh, at our meeting we spoke about in great length was virtual colonoscopy and how it's really coming to the forefront. The new articles published in the New England Journal of Medicine showing its accuracy, the multiple Perry Pickard articles in the New England Journal and other places, the Akron trial results coming out that are very positive, allow us to visualize the colon and recognize that it's not just these large cancers, in this case an apical carcinoma, that we can pick up, nicely shown with different 3D renderings, and I'll just show you a few different images. My, uh, uh, ability to do a CT into barium enemas. Since no one knows how to do barium enemas anymore, it's the only way you're going to see an apple core lesion. But also the capabilities and the learning and the ability to do fly-throughs to be able to see inside the colon, the importance of the articles being published, showing how you're more accurate when you're doing 3D imaging, that fly-throughs are better in some of the articles. Other articles show 2D or 3D have equal roles. But you can see the type of details we're able to routinely get, the importance of patient preparation, the importance of our capabilities of seeing, in this case, a cancer on axial imaging and on 3D, and then seeing the same imaging on the patient's fly-through. Those capabilities are all indeed very important. Articles published, such as this one by Perry Pinkard, comparing 2D and 3D imaging, that primary 2D review is less sensitive than primary 3D for polyp detection. The disappointing 2D sensitivity in this study was very similar to results obtained with primary 2D evaluation in prior uh, colon uh, trials. Uh, or this statement that CT colonography has the potential to become an accepted technique for evaluation of the colon after incomplete colonoscopy and increase the diagnostic yield of masses and, and detection of clinically important polyps. So, of course, one of the accepted one of the Medicare paid applications for virtual colonoscopy is an incomplete colonoscopy. But it's not just this incomplete colonoscopy, it's the fact that it can be used as a primary tool. Look at this, you know, that in the incomplete colonoscopy, their results were uh, per patient per lesion over 90%. Now, when you go and look at other articles published, here's an article by Kim, um, primary 3D interpretation revealed uh, uh, comparative uh, capabilities across a range of evaluations. So it's important to recognize and, uh, or in Perry's uh, conclusion, CT virtual colonoscopy with 3D is an accurate screening method for detection of colorectal neoplasia in asymptomatic average risk adults and compares favorably with optical colonoscopy in detection of relevant lesions. And again, those terms are very important. When I'm worrying about two millimeter lesions, of course, you can argue back and forth that a big advantage of colonoscopy is its ability to remove the polyp. One cannot get around that capability. But you can see, read this very carefully, very slowly, specificity of virtual colonoscopy, 96% for polyps at least 10 millimeters, 92% for polyps at least 8 millimeters, and almost 80% for polyps 6 millimeters. So you're recognizing two polyps were malignant, detected on virtual colon and the one was missed on optical colonoscopy. So you really recognize, and again, I'm targeting that statement, how good the numbers are and how good the possibilities are. But again, of course, uh, as my colleague Dr. Horton will tell you, it depends on your preparation and it depends on your capability of being able to interpret the images. 
And this whole idea of being able to look inside organs gets down to the point that what you see on CT is how you look at the information. You look at the fundus, it looks okay, but look at the detailed fold pattern that you can see if you use that same virtual software. Or here, looking inside and seeing these gastric polyps, which were small gist tumors. Or here, looking at the multiple hyperplastic polyps. So I think one of the capabilities and articles have been written, looking at this patient with gastric adenocarcinoma, looking inside the patient's stomach, the ability to see the enlarged folds. And I think one of the things we need to look at is how good virtual gastroscopy will be for detecting uh, tumor infiltration of the stomach, possibly before we can see it on routine CT. And this article by Kim, virtual gastroscopy showed excellent results with good inter-observer reliability for detection of early gastric cancer compared with 2D imaging. And you can see from that article that the overall detection was significantly higher with virtual gastroscopy than with 2D axial imaging, and it showed a higher uh, sensitivity than 2D axials. And again, it's not just in the stomach. What about in the lungs? Here's an article we published recently looking at virtual bronchoscopy, the ability to look inside the airways, whether it's colon or stomach, anything you can distend, even sinuses. Here was a case of tracheal papillomatosis, very difficult to see, particularly that small three millimeter lesion uh, in the trachea. And you could do multiple ways of looking at it. You see the lesion at the bifurcation nicely when you look at this coronal view but it's really on that 3D map. You see it well. You can pull the lungs out, and now you begin to see that lesion on the left tracheal wall. It's subtle, but it's so much easier to see on the virtual view looking down the airway. So you recognize that your ability to detect disease is so dependent on how you look for disease, and again, for the referring physician who's going to do bronchoscopy, it's a whole lot easier now knowing exactly where they're going to see the lesion. So axial imaging is great, but it's nowhere near the value of looking at this 3D map. And here's just two more views of the lower lesion. Or in this case, where there's occlusion of the right main stem bronchus by tumor, there's collapse, and here it is on virtual bronchoscopy. Again, remember the virtual bronchoscopy puts the images in the format right to left that the bronchoscopist would be looking down the lungs. Or this case, patient with a paralyzed right vocal cord, look at the coronal display, but look at that in a 3D view, just like the endoscopist would see it. Just beautiful visualizations. It's hard to get around that process. Now, in terms of applications, uh, at this meeting and in this talk, we speak about many things, and you look at the numbers, pancreatic cancer, uh, you look at patients who are potential resectable candidates and you look at how good CT is that it basically approaches surgical reliability. When compared to surgical outcome, positive predictive value of CT was 100%. Now at times, uh, when you compare it to PATH, it fell to 83%. They see microscopic extension, but the state of the art is to look at surgical resectability and that's where we're at. We're approaching 100%. That's just incredibly important for managing patients. You look at this article, it's by Zamboni, Initial CT of Interpretation of CT Angiography, 100% sensitivity. Um, just incredible. Uh, specificity increased at 94% with experienced readings, positive predictive value, 98%. So just very, very important. So 
this is what CT can be done or what you can do with CT when you really optimize all components. Now this article was interesting. It didn't see a lot of difference between uh, the different scanner generations. I think that's typically not the case because surely from CT and geography you can do a whole lot better in 64. But it makes the point that optimizing CT becomes critical. Now optimization runs into many things. So for example, in this case, we're not looking at a pancreatic mass. We're looking at changes in texture in the mid-body. We don't need to see masses anymore. By doing texture mapping, we can see lesions before they're large. And so we can pick up things when they really are resectable. We can look for changes in enhancement. In this case, you see the differential enhancement of the distal body and tail with dilated duct. You know there has to be a proximal tumor. So now mass, but we're looking at texture. And yes, I can see the lesion in the mid-body. And yes, we need to look at lesions and describe them. Low density, this is a pancreatic adenocarcinoma. No questions asked, but this lesion's cystic. Maybe IPMN, cyst adenoma, but it's a cystic lesion. And again, how we deal with cystic lesions, something of great debate. Under 3CM, we typically follow them when there's no septations or mural nodularity. Very clear definition or detection of this one centimeter hypervascular tumor, which was a small islet cell. Obvious when you do arterial phase imaging and you do things correctly. And it's particularly obvious when you go to 3D imaging where we can do very nice texture mapping. Very easy to see that lesion. But look what happens when you go to venous phase imaging. Boy, it's cystic, it's subtle, it could be a tiny pseudocyst. Is it a small IPMN? What are you looking at? So again, that timing of the lesion is everything. The capabilities and ability to visualize these vascular lesions is indeed so critical. We also talk about in pancreas mapping. So for example, in this case, collaterals around the stomach, big mass tail of pancreas, hypervascular tumor, classic islet cell, and look at the 3D maps nicely showing you gastric varices, retroperitoneal varices, occlusion of splenic vein, classic collaterals. So CT is very good for a range of applications, not just in the case of occlusion by tumor, but look at these gastric varices here. This patient can easily develop GI bleeding, and in cases like this, it's often due to prior pancreatitis. Here's a large pseudocyst, a large left gastric vein, and nice varices. So again, very, very important. Same concepts in, this, in the liver. Hypervascular lesion, it's not puddling. The liver is irregular. This is hepatoma. Make no mistake about it. You can then go and then create 3D maps, nicely showing you that hypervascular lesion with pseudocapsule, showing you some of the neovascularity. That's hepatoma. We speak about how looking at neovascularity is critical for detecting early disease and infiltration, critical for detecting extent of disease, and critical for patient management. But look at the beauty as you go from volume rendering to MIP showing the neovascularity, the diffuse infiltration of the liver by tumor. Or in this case as well, look at this large tumor with this pseudocapsule, impressive vascularity. Very nice example of uh, neovascularity um, for, for tumor infiltration of the liver, nicely shown in this example as well. So you can see that so much of what we're doing in CT is not just masses, but looking at vessels. 
and it's not just vessels in terms of tumor. In this patient with Crohn's disease, look at the vasorecta. We now know that the prominent vessels means active disease. And whether using volume rendering or MIP, and MIP works real nice in this example, we're able to look at the extent of disease, we're able to look at disease activity, think about it in terms of uh, processes such as ischemic bowel. So very, very important potential applications that we can look at. And here's just another example. Look at the detail that we're able to see in the mesenteric vasculature. Or in this case of a patient with um, mesenteric paniculitis, prominent vessels, small nodes. Look at the detail and look at the axial images. Look how little you really appreciate the axial compared to what you appreciate in the 3D. So whether it's ischemic bowel, whether it's Crohn's disease, looking at the, the stem pipe bowel, looking at the increased and prominent vasorecta, looking at the increased vascularity, these are all things we easily see, recognize, and define. And again, it's going to help you out. Yes, you should recognize in this Crohn's patient this thick and small bowel, but boy, it's a lot easier to see in this coronal display where you see the stricture, you see the hyperenhancement, you see the prominent vascularity, something very, very easy to recognize, or in this next example, same process, in transverse colon, prominent vessels, abnormal vascularity. So again, a very important, important feature. Now, we'll make one last point. It's not just detecting disease, but determining activity. But also, if you don't look at these images, you're going to miss things. Here's an article we wrote from Hopkins. Unsuspected mesenteric arterial abnormalities may elude diagnosis when axial CT only is interpreted. And in this study, we're able to compare axial and 3D readings, and we found that a significant number of findings that on a per patient basis, the axial and 3Ds were equivalent in 24%. Axial partially agree with CT another 10%, and no mesenteric abnormality was seen on the axials in 66% when 3D showed something. And the mesenteric lesions identified resulted in a change in patient management in 15% of the subjects. So it's not just, we weren't looking at a replace right hepatic that you could see it better. That's great, but it's not important in most patients. It's important pathology that needs to be diagnosed. So again, the point, things are changing, both on the acquisition side and the interpreting side. And with that, why don't we stop here and we'll pick it up next time and hopefully I'll be able to actually maybe finish the talk at that point. Thanks very much.